Hustle Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And this is episode 70. Yeah. Did you just change your voice for the intro of this podcast? Yeah, because, you know, with the with the really kind of classical, fancy music, I figured like, I mean, I should come in with like, like a cool, fancy accent or something, but I decided just, you know, a little more somber, serious. We should flip the music like next time. Like just throw everybody off. I don't know. There's put something... our regular music on this one and put the classical on. Oh, no, you can't episode. do that. We can't do that. So this is okay. one of our this is one of our level up review episodes. So um, if you are new to our show, uh, this is uh, a different type of show. So typically, uh, our shows we talk about nothing but kind of reselling and our experiences reselling, or we have guests on. Um, we talk about reselling. This episode, we still talk about reselling, but we do it through reviewing a book. So um, we we're glad you're here. Uh, we're reading and finishing up The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And so if you've read it, great. If you haven't, no worries. You could still listen in. Did it take more than four hours to read? That's my question. Not much more, to be honest. Are you a speed reader? Did you take a speed oh, reading gosh. class? Uh, to be honest, um, as an English teacher, I don't, I don't know if I believe in it. And I speed really reading? don't. Speed reading? I don't know. I mean, I, I hear about JFK and all these people that were like awesome. And I tried learning it. I remember early on. And I just, I wasn't a fan of skipping. You have to skip certain words. Yeah, no, that's that's part of the whole process. Like when you when you actually see a lot of their courses, um, I mean, there is something to be said about being able to read closer towards the middle of the page and letting your peripheral vision like take in like chunks of information. But like sometimes the courses kind of advocate for read the first sentence of a paragraph and then kind of just like, mm, like quickly just scan over it and your brain will just take in what's important. And I think... Part of that, like you're going to lose majority of the stuff you might take out, you know, but I guess the other side of the, the coin is you could read slowly and still end up walking away and not remembering what you read. So I will tell you, I got away with that in high school. I would, I, I read two books in high school, two. In college, I didn't read a book until my junior year of college. Oof. Like, like read, like actually read the words. I just skimmed. My grades weren't great. You know, I did, I did end up doing really well my last two years. I think part of that was because I actually read the books, but I think grad school was when I actually had to read. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, like, just think about how much further you'd have been along by the time you got to grad school. No, I know. Had you have done the reading? And I always like, I, I tell my students and, and I even think for myself, if, if you're going to spend the time, you might as well get the benefit from it. Right. Well, I, okay. So we do have some younger listeners that are still in college and I will tell you, if you want to get into, and this is, I know it's not related, but I thought I'd share this info because I ended up in a really bad spot when I went to get my master's and I had to pass this exam called the GRE. Did you take the GRE? No, it was terrible, but I had to know about 5,000 vocabulary words. Now, had I been reading up until that point, I probably would have known what most oh, of the yeah. words meant. Yeah. Reading is, is, is by far the best way of developing your vocabulary. Yeah. So I had to create 5,000 note cards. Speaking of which, I, I actually sold a GRE uh, oh, vocabulary. Yes. Like um, it was brand new. I got it at a Goodwill, and it looked it was like a box, like almost like a game, but it was just like mm -hmm. flashcards of vocabulary. And, it, it was yeah. terrible. I mean, I passed and I made it into the program. But anyways, just a heads up, those of you that are in currently in school and you're trying to go, you know what? I don't need to read books right now. And again, this book review, we, we, you don't have to read this book. You don't. Mm -hmm. You can follow along. You can listen. You can use Audible. By the way, I wish Audible would sponsor. We'd be the perfect people to sponsor. I just thought about that. I mean, just throw it out there. Audible, if you're listening, if you're being audible to what we're saying, we're here for you. 
So nice. anyways, that's our tips. If you're in school, let's get down to the basics of Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek, part yeah. two. Yeah, so, and, and here's the kind of the interesting thing. So part one was kind of focused on, because he had this like acronym that he used, um, and, and part one was kind of focused on, I feel like more phil- philosophical theories about how you can kind of be free, right? Mm-hmm. And it was more of like, change your mindset. Um, and, and it wasn't until the end of part one of our, our review where he started to talk about the like automation, right? And you kind of know that that's kind of a big focus of that. And it starts to move more and more as we're finishing this book into this idea of like automating your life, uh, what that would look like. And, and, and to be honest, I was really excited for the practical. And I kind of felt like a lot of the practical fell short. Like it was very aimed towards like a very specific lifestyle. Like you have to follow this type of career path in order to make this work. I think I think there's some of that. I really appreciated how detailed it was because sometimes people go practical in theory. He put websites, he put tools. Yeah. Now, I did look up a lot of the websites and some of them are non-existent. Or, yeah, this is the updated and revised. Changed. But man, technology moves so fast I that you, you, you can't rely on... But it is true. There's tons and tons of resources. We're definitely not even going to cover probably any of them. Uh, but just know that if you're interested in buying this book, there is a lot of resources in there as far as like programs you can use either for automation or like running websites or having an 800 number. So there's lots and lots of like specific, you can use this tool, this tool, this tool. So that was nice. And there wasn't a big part about social media. No. Which to me, I think that would be the new addition. Yeah. So Tim Ferriss, if you're listening, social media would be a great addition to the book. Just throwing it out there. I'm sure he'll just write another book. <laughs> okay. Or he'll do that. But maybe he'll make four it updated. updated. But, oh, that's true. The four hours. There is a lot. I did find a four hour, I think was like workout or something book at the, at the story that shall not be named. Hmm. Speaking of the story that sh- shall not be named, he mentions it in, in our reading. Oh, does he really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, all right. Okay. Anyway, so we'll jump we right in. This. We'll jump right into the automation part. Uh, so the first part we talked about automation last week. Uh, was kind of the idea of getting virtual assistants. And to be honest, I was really intrigued by that. I haven't I haven't actually done it yet, but I would say this book has inspired me to say, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. Like at some point in the near future, I don't know how deep I'm going to go into a virtual assistant, but you know, even if it's something small, like let's see what it would look like to have a virtual assistant who, you know, maybe calls and makes doctor's appointments or I don't know, something and just kind of get my feet wet and see, is this something that can be applied to free up time in my life, my day-to-day life, or maybe even reselling. What about you? Have you looked into a virtual assistant anymore? I have. I, I'm still, I'm up in the air in the sense that I, I, in as far as this line of work, as far as reselling, there's, there's many things they can do. So if, if I was doing, let's say Amazon and I was looking for items, right? If I was doing some online arbitrage it would be helpful. If I was doing Poshmark and I needed somebody to share closets, it would be helpful. As far as other items, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, because there are repricers, so you don't need somebody to reprice things. Uh, there are some people that have mentioned uh, they use it for social media, and I am totally opposed to that. I think everything we do always needs to be organic. So every reply you get from us, it's from us. Well, what about though, like Sellhound, right? Like in a way, they almost become like virtual assistants if you use something like that. They do, right? but my, you know, again, I think it's a great program if you have too much inventory and you don't have time to sort through it. The other issue is they set the price, they set the keywords, and they do. They do a great job with SEO. So I don't know. I, I'm i more of, I like, I guess, and I'll talk about this in a moment. I'll kind of share a quote a little bit here from the book where he discusses the idea that as entrepreneurs, we have a hard time letting go. Mm. 
And I, I 100% agree. Do you mind if I share that real quick? Yeah, go for it. All right. So it's over on page 206 of the version. Hopefully you all picked up. And on page 206, he shares this idea that entrepreneurs really struggle. So one of the struggles is paying for somebody else, right? It, it could be any kind of business. And I know when I jumped to having a helper, I had so many DMs that were saying, Orlando, do you think it's worth it to you? Right. Is, is, is it really, you know, you end up losing because somebody else I had, I heard, I was listening to a, I don't know if it was a podcast or YouTube. Somebody had said that when you hire somebody, you immediately will lose profits in the beginning because you have to train that person. It makes things more difficult, but eventually you get to that place. So let me share this with you. Uh, he states on page 206 towards the middle of the, of the book. He says, most entrepreneurs begin with the cheapest tools available. Agreed, right? I mean, we go think about how long you went without a light box. Yeah. Or how long I went without a light box. Bootstrapping and doing things themselves to get up and running with little cash. This isn't the problem. In fact, it's necessary so that entrepreneurs can train outsourcers later. The problem is that these same entrepreneurs don't know when and how to replace themselves or their homemade infrastructure with something more scalable. By scalable, I mean a business architecture that can handle 10,000 orders per week as easily it can handle 10 orders per week. Yeah. I, I think that's really good. I mean, because you mentioned it like perfectly is this idea that the idea of losing profit initially can be very offsetting, right? Mm -hmm. Like kind of, you know, it can make you a little nervous, especially if you're like relying on income. But if you're at a place where I'm only making X amount of money per month and I really on my own, I can't scale past that. And you realize you've hit a plateau. And, you know, I know this with like a lot of things, whether it's fitness, like I was coaching uh, some sports for a while. And when you see kids working out and trying a new technique, oftentimes they get worse at first, right? Like then they're like, I just want to go back to the old way. And it's like, okay, but the old way you're plateaued, you're not going to get any better. But if you start this other technique, this other way that's actually better, you're going to start off because you're new at it a little less, but your plateau on that is going to be significantly higher than your current plateau, right? So there's a learning curve even to, to potentially hiring new people. But that idea of scalability, it's huge. And if that's the model you want, like I'm not interested at all in running. I mean, maybe if I could, you know, be completely automated the way this kind of, you know, promotes, mm -hmm. but I'm not interested in running a huge warehouse where I've got workers and they're doing most of the work for me. I like the idea of keeping a small within my control, maybe a, a, a an assistant or two. But if you were like, I want to turn this into lots of money, you're going to have to be willing to to do that, to hire some people and scale. See, this was this was a big deal for me when I read this because it made me think about, like you're saying right now, you, you kind of have things figured out, right? eBay, Poshmark, you're still learning. Getting there. Yeah. You're getting there. But I think about right now, hiring a helper, and I'm going to look to getting a second helper here soon, is a lot easier for me now after having several years of experience because I understand the process from point A to point B. Mm. How should the pictures be taken? How do you do the shipping? It's, you know, that's going to be the next step. I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way where I can have all my inventory in one location and hire somebody to ship out. I don't know how that's going to happen. I really don't. And, you know, because, again, I'm not a big fan of running a warehouse. Like when I, I just want to live at home. Right. I don't, I don't want to live in a warehouse. Not saying you live in a warehouse, but you get what I'm saying. Like yeah. you, it just ends up becoming another job. So when I started thinking about this, I go, it's really easy right now when my helper calls me or texts me about a problem because I can answer it right away. I know exactly what they're talking about. If I was brand new, 
some of the stuff I would have been struggling. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. Uh, let me figure that out. Let me get back to you. So I would have been spending a lot of time trying to train myself so I could train this person. Right. Right. And so to me, this said, okay, those of you that are new and you're trying to figure out and you do want to outsource a lot of things, it may be good to wait a little bit. And this is just my opinion until you really have that system down, then you can definitely teach somebody how to do it. And you're wasting less time in the long run by already knowing what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's important to know. But but one thing I heard somebody say a long time ago, it always kind of stuck with me is if you really want to move up in a company, uh, if you want to to get promoted, whatever it is, you have to be training the, somebody or some people below you to take your job. Like you have to be preparing somebody else to step in to do your job. So that way you can then move up to something else because of a company. And and I mean, there's obviously that can turn around and bite you. But but realistically, if you want to move up to the VP position, but you're the only person who can manage your department and nobody else knows how to do it, they're never going to pull you out of that department because the department will fail, right? But if you're like, I'm ready for this position and I got somebody who can do my job because I've taught them everything I know. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way with reselling, right? So there can be this fear of like, I don't want to teach somebody everything I know, but Part of doing that is what allows you to then move to the next step because now somebody's doing all the stuff that you are doing and you're not the one stuck doing it. Okay. Now you're free to do something else. And that's where I do think that, that some of this idea of automation comes in. Um, I thought it was interesting um, right at the beginning of Income Autopilot kind of started talking about this idea of drop shipping even. So on um, page 152. I totally skipped that. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. So so he's, he's kind of talking about this idea of drop shipping and um, realistically like we're not necessarily opposed to drop shippers. Um, it's just not a model that we know much about. And we've actually had some, you know, maybe some negative run-ins with those um, at, at times. But at the same time, it is effective. And a lot of what he kind of talked about in this beginning section, I kind of feel works a little bit more towards like the Amazon method because it went from drop shipping, uh, then it kind of moved a little bit more towards um, like finding a specific items or finding items that people would like um, and then buying them off of, Alibaba or, or whatever, and then getting that onto a platform and selling it, he kind of talks a lot about through your own website, but I just see how that would work for eBay or Amazon. But again, that's not the model I use, but I can see how a lot of people private label like this model is almost exactly what you would do. Yeah. The, the only, the only problem I had with this, I looked at the copyright and I think this is a 2009 edition. Am I wrong? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. But yeah, there's a few things that uh, drop. So again, we're not opposed to drop shipping. If you can make it work. And actually, we do follow some people on Instagram that make it work. But the issue with drop shipping is, number one, it is an ultra flooded market. I mean, it is super flooded. The other issue is, is that eBay and Amazon are not fans of drop shippers. So there are policies in place. There are algorithm. I don't know what you call them, but the algorithm is trained to spot drop shippers and drop them lower in the search. So in 09, if this is when this was the updated version, I mean, I'm looking at the last copyright it says 09, even if it, let's say it was 2015, so much has happened since then that this model drop sh- shipping before I think social media took off in the reselling community would have been super effective. As of now, I mean, there's been studies, there was a study I can't remember, I but that the the main way that drop sh- shippers make money is by selling courses about drop shipping. Oh yeah, for sure. Right? I believe that. And actually he talks about that in here too. Yep. Which made sense to me. So I actually looked up the company uh on here that was a drop shipping company and they no longer drop ship, they sell sounds. Yeah. So if you're a company that, you know, you're a school or a nonprofit and you want certain sounds, 
I think for like 1200 uh, a year, they'll license you out a certain amount of sounds for you to use. Yeah. And I've used programs like that. And, and actually those kinds of platforms. And he talks about specific people who run businesses like that. Um, and, and, you know, that's it's good. It's finding a niche. And, and one thing that I thought he did really well is he offered a way of finding a good niche for products that sell that I really haven't heard before. Um, and it was this so on page 160. And when he's talking about trying to find that that item, one thing he says is uh, go into a bookstore, go into a Barnes & Noble or something like that and find something, a category, some kind of topic that has its own magazines and has more than one, like two or three. So think of like cycling, right? Like you go into a Barnes & Noble and you're going to find like five or six different magazines on cycling or photography or cooking. And there's but different... people still read magazines? Well, I think the point that is trying to be made here, and I do think that that people, if you're in a very specific niche market, okay. there, there at least will be a magazine. Now, will that be the primary? People are probably using the internet and YouTube primarily. But if there is a printed magazine for whatever it is, a certain specific type of, you know, gardening decor, well, then that means there's a lot of people who are obsessed with this, this thing, this hobby or whatever it is. And that might be a good place to start. And he suggests now open up those magazines and then start looking for the advertisements in there. What are the things people are selling? What is it that people that are into this niche, what are they buying? Right. And that gives you a big insight into um, potentially a, a, an area you might not know anything about. Right. So if you're interested in selling vintage audio, maybe find some magazines that do vintage audio, learn some stuff by reading through it. But then also look at what what is being advertised to them because you can start to find what is what are like the little things that these people in this hobby need and want and that might be a niche to break into well it's like anything in business though right when you're able to solve somebody's problem or provide something that fills the gaps <laughs> there's money to be made yeah but the good thing with doing it this way is a lot of the market research is already done for you if okay. companies are are paying for advertising in a printed magazine or on a website for a specific type of item then you know that this is probably an item that people are looking for. So instead of just kind of guessing, like maybe people want this, it kind of is like you're allowing other agencies to do all the market research for you, which I thought was a pretty interesting idea. Now, now you know, you got to be careful because if you go for the obvious ones, those are probably flooded markets. So you want to look for those niche, a little bit off, off of, from center, you know, hobbies and stuff, and then dig into those. And I think ultimately you really want to, you really have to have a passion to do this. You know, and so I'm reading this and I'm going, okay, maybe there's money, but could I finish what I've started? <laughs> you know, like, could I go from, I got an idea, I went and, you know, I went out, let's say I go online, right? The magazines are online and I find, and, and I start thinking about a product. Then after you think about the product, well, then you have to figure out where are you going to manufacture it from, right? And right now with the trade issues, China probably isn't the best option for you. Well, if, maybe maybe it's not like you're manufacturing the items, but maybe you now know, even as a reseller, what are things I could be buying and selling? You know, no, so. I get it. I just, but again, it's that. But as a reseller, that I'm passionate about that, right? So that I can do. And again, I'm always very big. And actually, Mike and I talked about this before the podcast. You know, there are some that say do what makes money and continue that process. I'm more of do what you enjoy that makes money and continue that process. Yeah, I think I fall in between there because like realistically, there, there's something to be said about enjoying what you do. And I think reselling can be that enjoyable thing. And yeah, I I love board games. I would love to be able to just sell nothing but but like really cool niche board games. But I just don't find them enough, right? Correct. Now, the reality is 
I'm not really like, I don't wake up like excited about cosmetics, but I think about that conversation we had with Craigslist Hunter. And, you know, if I could find, break into some certain markets, I could quickly become passionate about cosmetics, right? And learning about it and figuring out what's the best way to make money. And then making the money becomes what's exciting, right? Like not that the whole point is just to make money, but it could be like, I found something I've got, I'm, I'm in this niche and I'm, I'm somebody in this niche, right? Like I've got some, Mm -hmm. some push and sway and I'm able to buy in bulk and I'm able to, and then you quickly can become passionate about something you might not have personal interest in, but if it's like, if it's your way to freedom out of the nine to five, Hey, I think there's still something to be said for that. I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I think, I think there's value to what you're saying. I know for myself, I can't go down that road anymore. And I, I know for many of you that are veteran, veteran sellers, you can't go down that road anymore. Now, am I willing, if there's a huge bulk buy that's going to make me a lot of money and I don't care for the item, I'll probably take it still. But it can't, to me, it just can't be the only thing. Because then you've created your own nine to five. You're your own boss. You've put your own limitation to what you do. And you're forcing yourself to do things you don't want to do. Right? And that, that's the problem I have with... If if you're willing to, for instance, if it was something, you know, like our, our podcast, I love our podcast. So I don't mind doing a, a ton of work, whether it's from social media to right now, we're going to record a couple episodes. We're going to be up late to, you know, addressing DMs every day to, you know, whatever people ask of us, like, that's not a problem for me because I have a passion. If it was, hey, Orlando, we should do the podcast because this is a major source of income and I wasn't passionate, passion, which it's not at all, by the way. But if it was, if I wasn't passionate about it, I'd be miserable. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely something to be said for, for doing something that you enjoy doing. But I don't know. I, I saw a quote. Um, I think it was from the guy who did um, the, the show Dirtiest Jobs or oh, yeah. something I like that. that right? show. Yeah. And um, I think it came from from him or his Instagram or something, but he made a comment and it was an interview he did with a guy who's very s- successful with pumping septics and and like basically removing human poop, right? Like that's his job. And he's really good at it and makes a lot of money and he owns his own business. And he was kind of asked like, how did you become passionate? Because he was like, he loved what he did about poop. And he goes, well, like I found a market. I got out of high school. College wasn't for me. I found an area, he says, I didn't enjoy it, but I, I learned everything I could learn about it. I became the best person in my area who does this. And he said, over time, I became passionate about it. Like I did something that I was good at and I allowed myself to work hard, even though it wasn't like a glamorous job. And I do think there's something to be said for that. So I think, no, I think I, there's <laughs> finding that middle spot is where you should be. I No, it's true. I mean, <laughs> I've gone through enough counseling and therapy that it's always like, emotions follow actions, right? Right. So if you constantly do an action, eventually the emotions will follow up. Right. So I get that. I, I think it's, it's how we function as humans. I just, I don't know. I think, I think you can go either way. Yeah. With it. You just and, gotta and you're choose in a place right now where you want to, you want to have some enjoyment in life. And I think that's a good thing for sure. He does mention in here when it comes to the items you should sell, he mentions that it should be in the 50 to $200 range. He says most things sell like in that range, that kind of mid range, is that what you find like even on eBay? Like, what's your what's your oh, thought on 100%. that? Oh, hundred percent. Well, I think right now it's, I would say twenty to fifty. I would say it's you know most of the bread and butter is around that rate. I make you know I have my home runs that are over a hundred dollars, and those happen a few times a week. But most of the time, it's it's twenty to fifty. But I I see what they're saying because there's also the value proposition. 
right? If if you're paying twenty dollars for a course, who's gonna pay twenty dollars for a course, right? Oh, you're not gonna. But if you make it fifty or make it a hundred or hundred fifty, then it's like okay, this there's obviously some value here, and that's why I'm gonna pay, right? So I understand where he's come from, and if you go too high, right, you you limit. Now there's one thing he did say, which I, I completely agree with, and I think it's the same thing in the reselling world or anything you do. Uh, he talks about. On page 159, it is more profitable to be a big fish in a small pond than a small undefined fish in a big pond, right? And I think that's where whatever you're doing, and if you want to relate it to reselling, if you're able to source those items where there's only so many of you in that pond, and, and we see this, and we talk about this in our last episode about, you know, adapt or die. If you're able to do that, you're going to have consistent sales. If you end up in a very saturated market, right, and you're not really, def- and I'm not saying you have to define what you sell, but most of your stuff is in a saturated market, and it's some of it isn't unique. This is why I talk about, and I know I know we're talking about a lot of reselling, but this is what we do. If you if you have a lot of items that don't have specific keywords that are different that set you apart, you're gonna have a hard time selling items, right? If you're selling a bunch of Gap sweaters, that's going to be tough. Banana Republic or whatever it is. But if you're selling, you know, let's say Rain Spooner, Lionel Trains, Anniversary, Hawaiian Reversible shirt, it's going to be a little bit easier to sell. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think you're you're probably right in a lot of ways on that. But I also think you've got a narrower market. So the one nice thing, and I do think what he says is true with the being the small fish in a big pond versus big fish in a small pond. But I think that if you're selling more of a generic item, you might have more competition, but you're also reaching a wider audience, right? Whereas if you've got a very specific type of Hawaiian shirt, you got to hope somebody's looking for Lionel Train Rain Spooner shirts as opposed to just a medium navy blue gap V-neck sweater, right? Like that might be an item that sells. If you look in the number, the, the velocity of sales over the course of a month, you know, it might be quite a bit higher and it might actually even out, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I will tell you how many people have those sweaters listed, right? And so when you compare the, the the Hawaiian shirt, you have train collectors and you have people that like Hawaiian shirts, right? So you have both genres. But again, it's one of those things you just got to find those items and whatever it is. I mean, he talks about it later on that you also have to find those items that you don't have to constantly, I would say, answer like you have to know what you're talking about, where you can break it down. I don't know if you oh saw gosh, that. it was hilarious. Okay, so he 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 has a whole thing where he says, and this is different because we sell. If you got a thousand items in your store, probably nine hundred and fifty of them are unique items, right? Like True. you For might us, have, yeah, because we're one off exactly. kind of sellers. So now, if you're the kind of person who's a private label, you might have the one item, and and this would apply to you a little more. But he makes this comment about having. Everything about your item, you need to have a frequently asked question sheet that can answer. Because he says, otherwise, you will just be like inundated with the most bizarre questions. And he was talking about like a supplement he sold. And some of the examples of questions he was getting was like, can I eat bananas with your product? Will it make me fart during dinner? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I can imagine customers asking like crazy questions because we get that even with our stuff. Like, like, does the shirt smell? Well, I mean, if it smelled, I would say that. Like, so people ask weird questions on things. And so if you are a, private label or or you've found a way to manufacture your own item, 
you better have all of that stuff ahead of time. Any kind of question someone could ask in a frequently asked questions. So it frees up your time and you're not answering questions. But I, all I like that he says that because I've been thinking, you know, all the time people buy things that are ingestible or topical. I still, I've told you, I, for me, I stay away from that stuff all the time. One is because you definitely have to have insurance, right? Because anything can happen. And yes, ultimately, the people that will get sued will be Amazon and will be eBay, but you may be included as another party, right? The other reason is, is this, is you, unless you 100% were behind the creation of that item, you really don't know. Right, you don't know the effects, and you and everybody functions differently. So it made me think about okay, those of you that are starting, I get this all the time. I get people that ask me, "Are you okay? Do you why don't you sell shampoo or why don't you sell, you know, I don't know nail products or why don't you sell a bag of chips?" And and again, this is just my opinion, but for me, it's I like sleeping better at night, and so I don't deal with it. And I don't deal with these questions now. Luckily, if you if you're selling these items on Amazon or something or eBay, there's a lot of other people. And so those questions get answered. But again, you want to make sure it's something that I think you're knowledgeable about to a certain point. And uh, he talks about that later on. So we'll talk about that. Now, the one thing that I kind of had issue with on page 165 was when he says, creating a product is not complicated. It's in his best interest. I mean, realistically, he's selling... <laughs> He's selling this idea. This whole book is selling. I mean, he's you've got to you got to get people thinking like this is doable for me. Right. So even with us, with our podcast, I think people appreciate that we're real. But it would be if we were trying to sell a course, we would not intro the course with this is a very hard thing that's not guaranteed. And you're going to have to spend a lot of time and a lot of work and research and you might not make it like that's not what you, how you would sell it. Right. Agreed. So if you're selling information, if you're selling, you've got to do it with like anybody can do this. It's actually not that hard, right? So of course he's going to say that, but just think about how many people, even the people who've read this, I mean, we've had a few people, few of our listeners who've mentioned that four hour work week has changed their life. And I'll be honest, like I've taken some of the things they talked about in this book and I've already applied it, right? Like even some of them was like the idea of like negotiating. It talks about negotiating a little bit in this upcoming section, but even in the past with like how to deal with walking away from a job, right? And it talks about that in this section too. And when I left, my old school to move to my new school, there's a lot of fear like this. I'm, I'm not a confrontational person. And it's like, okay, now I've got to tell people right before the beginning of a school year that I'm not coming back. Right. And so I had, I took a lot of the ideas from this of like, all right, like how do I, how do I say it and be firm and how do I negotiate and how am I like, and so the, I do see that there's a lot you can take from this, but I think trying to sell the idea of like anybody can just become like a private label seller. It's kind of, I don't know. I almost feel like it's selling a dream a little bit. I, I agree. I mean, but again, it doesn't take away from the truths in this book. There's a lot. I, I, again, I've implemented, you know, he had talked about cutting down your work time. And if you cut down your work time, you're more efficient. So I slowly began doing that where I have literally taken a couple of days where I've done nothing. Now with eBay, you probably need a list, but I actually have been more effective knowing that, hey, I only have this amount of time and this is what I'm going to do. And so I work harder during that time than like, oh, you know what? I don't work in the nine to five. I'm going to take my time. And then next, you know, I never get stuff done. Right. Because I, I, I just think it's very, very effective. 
to put those time constraints. I think about hustle at home mom when I think about that, because she had talked about how she takes those two days a week. She has that set time and that is her time to take pictures to list and so on. And she gets it done. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember the name of it, the the rule, but it was basically yeah, that idea of like the sense of urgency creates like better work when you can't procrastinate when like the deadline is, Hey, this is due by tomorrow morning. You get it done as opposed to this is due in two weeks, right? Like that's almost a worst case scenario. And so, yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. And the 80, 20 rule that came from this too, I feel like that didn't actually come from here, but that's something I've heard a long time ago. And and he even mentions it's an old concept, but it's been so great of like trying to identify what's the, the 20% of things that you're doing that gets you 80% of the results and, and really focusing on those things. Um, he talks a lot about selling information, which I don't think probably applies to us, even though we do a podcast. Let's, like, let's talk about it a little bit though. Sure. I mean, but, but one of the things is like, as I'm reading this, I'm almost like, okay, I could see how, like, if me and you wanted to create a course, like, we could pull a lot of the stuff from this. Exactly. That's why I wanted to talk about this, because I finally understood why in the reselling community, we go from, I'm going to share information about selling on eBay, on Amazon, to I'm never going to sell you a course, to I'm selling a course, right? And, and, and I get it. And again, we've always said we're not opposed to courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always say fully vet them, investigate them, make sure it's worth your time and money. But I get it. I, I look at the numbers he showed here. These are, this is a small number compared to what it is now. He said that in 2002, 65 million worth of information moved through their doors in 2002. And this is talking about the three that he mentioned, the Carlton Sheets, Lucinda Bassett, Tony Robbins. That number overall I think it's in the billions now. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and these are just these it. three. I mean, overall, it's in the billions now. Yeah. So if you, we always talk about this, right? Getting a piece of the pie, not having the whole pie, just having a piece of the pie. Yeah. And if the pie is huge, there's a lot of pie to get. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge market. And, and he even makes a comment, like one of the reasons he says it's not hard, and he gives some practical advice. Like if you want to sell information, like some of the things he says is great as far as like, Join an organization, read the top three best books in that in that field. Because he made a good point. He says, you don't need to be an expert in the field. You just need to know more than a small portion of your potential customers, right? Like, and it's kind of true. Like, it's sad to say. It's also troublesome, though. It is. But but think about, like you said, the, when the pie is huge, people are going to go look at the top and they're going to get information from there. But they're also wanting information from other places, right? And if he mentions like the idea of selling speed or teaching the speed reading courses mm-hmm. on college campuses... And, you know, he's only got to read a couple of things about it, learn about it a little bit, and then there's a market for it. And so he, he knows more about speed reading than anybody else at the, at the convention, right? So he's the expert there. Even though in linguistics, nothing against Tim Ferriss, but he probably has almost no actual deep understanding of like linguistics, right? Like how language works and all this stuff. But if you know more about speed reading than anybody else in your group that you're talking to, you are now the expert. I just, it was, I struggled with this because it made sense. You know, he talked about on page 169, use the following questions to brainstorm potential how-to or informational products can be sold to your markets using your expertise or broad expertise. So he has a bunch of questions, right? But he said, aim for a combination of formats that will lend itself to $50 to $2, $200 pricing, such as a combination of two CDs, which we wouldn't do CDs anymore. We'd release in some MP4 YouTube format or you know, pay subscription or Patreon. 
uh, a 40 page transcription, a quick start guide. So I get this. I mean, and it's not like, again, we're not posted. We've been actually been approached, right, to put together a course and, and to sell it in perpetuity. But I struggle with it. And the, the reason I struggle with us selling a course is, number one, we always say we're not experts. We're always learning, right? Two, I would hate to steer somebody in the wrong direction, all right, because it makes us culpable. And, and I, I don't know if legally it makes us culpable, but morally you would feel <laughs> morally i would right and the other part is i want you to learn i want our audience to learn how to do it themselves right right and and my experience has been trial and error is the best teacher i could be wrong again i always say if you can fast track your way to learn how to resell certain things on ebay and amazon and there's a course out there that'll make it happen do it do it. Just, just be careful because, you know, this talks about the fifty to two hundred dollar price range. But a lot of courses out there, that's the beginners, right? Then it's, hey, learn more, five hundred dollars. Yep. You finish this, learn more. Here's a thousand dollar course. Learn more. I mean, they go all the way to twenty grand. Yeah, where you're the, you know, you get private one on one tutoring. And, and to be honest, sometimes you need that. Like I just think about, I wouldn't be the reseller I am today if it wasn't for you, kind of coming alongside me and teaching me, right? And a lot of people don't have that. And so if you don't have that, I mean, we, Pure House Podcast, we try to do that, you know, just give all the information basically that you've taught me, but there's still going to be some holes. And so I could definitely see why, you know, having a one-on-one mentor that you could talk to online would be huge, right? So, you know, there's definitely something to be said for that. Um, I will end it. Can we end this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I want to end it on one note though. If you want to build a course, I 100% believe this is the way to do it. You make it affordable. You put a little bit of experience. So you can't do it right away, right? So you have to develop your audience. Well, he specifically says, go do two or three free seminars at a college, right? Mm -hmm. Local college. Say, hey, I want to teach this free workshop. And and then when you go to a business, you could say, I've spoken at SDSU, UCSD, like, and you can list all the colleges that you've Well, now you don't even have to do that. Now you have to go, hey, I've been on YouTube for a year. I've had 70 podcast episodes. I'm joking. But anyways, you can build you can build that audience. And then you just have to know a little more. Right. And then you could put yourself on certain shows and you can say, hey, I've been on this and this and this and this. And I've attended eBay Open. I mean, I'm just we're not going down this road, but I hundred percent believe if you want to sell a course. Tim Ferriss has a lockdown here. Yeah. Right. You, you, I mean, all the tools are, and here's the thing. People are always wanting to learn, right? People have asked us before. So Orlando and Mike, why do you guys have a podcast? Like, how do you not run out of ideas? And it's two things. It's one is there's always something new. And the other is there's always new sellers. Yeah. Right. So it's either those of you that are, you know, experienced sellers that stay with us. It's because there's always something new. Right. Those of you that are new is because you come onto the podcast and you hear things that you never heard before. And so you see on and go, hey, that's really helpful. So anyways, yeah, if you want to make a course. Hey, for our work week, for man, our work week, it's just a lot make of that course. There. OK, um, so there's some other things in the, the kind of autopilot income autopilot section that I really liked. Um, one of them. And and maybe this goes against something you said a few weeks ago. But it says, the moral is that intuition and experience are poor predictions of which products and businesses will be profitable. And I like that idea that he's like, 
you know what? You got to go by facts here. You can't just say like, I got a good feeling about this product. He's like, you do the research and find out. And one of the ways that he explains a good way to do it is that so many people will research and they'll ask like, hey, would you be willing to buy this type of product? And people will say, yeah. And he says, the better way of really finding out if it's worth money is, is not asking them would they be willing, but say, hey, buy this product. And if people are willing to buy the product, it's worth selling. Because he goes, a lot of times people will tell you, yeah, I'd be willing to buy something like that for that price. And then as soon as it comes time to sell it, like, oh, now I have the product. Are you willing to buy it? It's like, mm, people back off. I was off, contrary right? to that. Well, you were contrary to the idea of, because um, you, you were talking about like intuition and like, you know, going off of feelings sometimes instead of facts. As far as? We're like making decisions, right? You're like sometimes just following your gut. Oh, yeah, that was the specific. Yeah, okay, I get that. I don't know if what was I talking about business or was I talking about personal life? Well, I mean, our our podcast is about business. Okay, I, I so don't. It's going to be taken that way. Okay, so okay, let, let me. Uh, I'm not going to say I misspoke because I don't remember the, it's related to business, but I want to course correct. I will say there are times in business. Yeah, yes, you have to go with your gut. You really do. Uh, as far as, but you have to have facts. You can't just go with your gut, but you have to have facts. I mean, I have sold stuff before where I have gone above and beyond what others have sold items for and I've still won, right? Because I knew that somehow intuitively, I knew that this would happen. Now, I've been wrong a lot too. So yes, there's a part of that. I will say in personal life, you know, do seek counsel, do seek wisdom. I think that's important. Find people that are mentors. But ultimately, I'm at a place, and maybe because I'm this old 40-year-old guy now, that there's a lot so of things. Old. I wish. Come on. I no no no. I got You're plenty of I, I'm messing around. I got plenty of life left. I will tell you, I've run into other 40-year-olds that talk to me like their life is over. I'm like, are you oh, serious? Man, you're just getting started. I, I, I feel like forty. I hundred percent feel as I'm getting restarted. <laughs> I just started. But what I'll, what I'll say is there's so much I wish I just went with my intuition because I look back and I go, I should have made that call and I should have made that call and I should have made that call. And I didn't. And I wish I did. Yeah, but but hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? And so just as many times as you could have gone with your intuition, it would have worked out great. Think about all the times where you didn't do something where your gut was maybe saying and it could have turned out terribly, right? I, I, I can't. I can't. Maybe Maybe less than a handful. I'm serious. Now I look back. Now I've been making a lot of gut calls. And it's been good. I'm All not. Right. I'm just saying. But again, I've sought counsel and I've sought wisdom. I haven't. Then just I would done say rogue. it's not just gut. You know, you're still. Yeah, but I've, for... I've run contrary. I mean, there's some things you and I have discussed and I've discussed with other people. And I'm like, nope, I'm just going to do it. And I did it and it worked out. So. All right. Well, hey, I mean, anything can happen. So there you go. Um, I don't know. I guess when you get older, you're just like, whatever. Yeah. Okay. There's something to be said for that. One thing I really liked. Um, so there's been a lot of comfort challenges. This book, each chapter after most chapters. Oh, these are hilarious. Challenge. Some of them are like, meh, meh, it's all right. But some of them are really good. And one of them that I thought was really good. There's one that's coming up that's really funny. But this one I thought was actually super helpful. It might actually be something we should try and maybe record doing. Right. Which one is this one? So he says set a budget of $100 and go to like a local swap meet or go to a local uh, farmer's market and go to a vendor or two and get $150 worth of stuff and just work on negotiating. Oh, that, that, that okay. I don't know if he mentioned that. Maybe I missed it. That one, I think, is an easier one. 
The one, I don't know. Does he mention start going to Starbucks and trying to get a discount? I don't think that was in this section. I think that was before. Was it before? But maybe. Or I heard in an interview that Tim Ferriss was doing, and he talked about how he encouraged people that every time you go to Starbucks, try to get a discount. Well, and part of what he says, and he mentions it multiple times. In fact, he says it uh, a little bit later. Let's see. Um, let me just go there real quick. This idea of practicing getting told no and getting comfortable with that because then it makes it because I'll be honest, like one of my weaknesses and and you know, maybe one of your strengths is you're okay with going to people and getting the no answer mm-hmm. and you keep pushing after the no. And I'm like, you're closing doors for that's us forever. Well, <laughs> and I don't know if it's a strength either, but at the same time, it's worked out a lot of times. It has. Me, I'm often not even willing to go because I'm like, there might be a no here, right? And so he makes, he says, practice the art of getting past no before proposing an idea, right? And part of that, I think, goes right to this idea of negotiating. He's like, be totally fine with walking away and not making the deals, but just get used to you know, it's a comfort challenge, right? Get out of your comfort zone. And I think that's a good one. Go to Starbucks and ask for a discount and get the no. Um, uh, another author, Grant Cardone, had a comment where he wouldn't get off the phone like he was a salesman until he had like a certain crazy number, like 100 no's during the day. Like he would call places until he got told no 100 times. So for him, it was like a good thing. Like, got to get that no, got to get that no. Because then you're not afraid to just propose and ask and try and get those big deals. Maybe we should make that a... Every day Instagram story for a hundred days. Hundred days for a hundred days. Like get a no. Get a no. Like you and I, not oh. not get a no, but we always somewhere try to get a deal. So if, and be comfortable with the no's. So, so it'll be out of the reselling world, obviously, because huh. you guys have if, to let us know whether you yeah, want let us that, in the I'm comments. Not do you do want it unless you guys? I'm really down to want do it. it. So whether it's at the grocery store or it's at Costco. And what are we gonna do? Like record? I'm asking it a girl Instagram out. Story? Whatever. It is. <laughs> asking for a phone number, I get a no. Whatever it is, looking for those no's. And what if, what if, what if out of those 100 days, we get yeses for 100 days? Well, what if you get like one or two yeses of things you never thought you would have got? Okay. So let us know in the comments. If we get enough feedback in our comments to do it, we're doing it. Okay. How about that? If we get 10 comments in the YouTube video, it's 10, that's not enough. No, I don't think we should put a number. We should put a number. That way we, no, we should say it needs to be a substantial number. Okay, a substantial number. More than 10. Okay. <laughs> but 10 is not the number. 10 is not the number. Okay. So if we get a substantial amount of people in the comments saying, do it, go for the no's. Now, that doesn't mean that we keep doing IG stories so we get a no. It just means once a day, at get some point no. in time, we ask for something that is out of the norm. And maybe we'll get a yes and maybe we'll get a no. I like it. I like it, but that's a little scary. I mean, it, it'll get us out of our comfort zone. There you go. Yeah, but Tim it could be Paris, at McDonald's. You, uh, you did it, man. Like, you know, I asked for a soda and I'm like, hey, can I get a 25% discount on my soda? I mean, it could be anything. Yeah. It yeah. could It could be, you know, you go to Costco, which will never give you a discount. Go, you know, I was wondering, could you, do you guys have a discount? Like, could I get a 10% discount on, you know, this $400 card? Of, which, which could open uh, up. I mean, you know, they've got deals, right? Where it's like, well, if you get this credit card and you might end up getting some doors open for you that you didn't realize were ways of saving money, or you might make some good connections where they're like, I can't do that, but here I can connect you with this person. Right. Cause that was one of the things he said too, in the very, we talked about last couple of weeks ago was like getting an interview with like somebody really important, right? Like being willing to call and get, and it's like, man, like, what if, what do you got to lose? Like, why not? I mean, I love, I love certain authors. I read all the time. Why not just call and send emails until I get a response or basically get told like, stop contacting me, right? Like I already don't talk to this author, so I don't lose anything. So I might as well be like, Hey, like 
I'd like to set up an opportunity to have like a Skype call with you just so I can learn about your writing process, you know? And if they're like, no, hey, I get one of my nose. You okay. got nothing to lose, right? I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm trying to think of scenarios. My life isn't that exciting where I meet people every day that I can ask for a no well, or for a yes. But maybe you do like, you combine the two challenges together. Maybe you call, like you try and get in contact with really important people and you like try and set up like, even if you get their secretary and you're like, hey, I want to, I want to set up uh, uh, maybe a phone Call meeting Gary with Gary V's office with, yeah, I'm looking to get Gary V on the podcast. No. Boom. You got to know, right? <laughs> Maybe call every day for a couple of weeks. Okay. And who knows? Maybe we will. We will. Okay. So let us know. I know we're, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that Mike's on board with this crazy idea, but Hey, see Mike, Mike's, Mike's growing. hundred <laughs> days of no. hundred days of no. Okay. It just hey, sounds like a pessimistic thing. By the way, no. you brought up Grant Cardone. So Mike and I went back and forth. I want this to be the next book. I can the, pick the one after. He can pick the one after, the 10X rule. The reason being, a couple things. One, I've seen some interviews and I, I, I like what he has to say about so, certain things. It's big, Grant Cardone is very big in the reselling He's community. Intense. He is intense. He's intense. Like I've listened to one of his, I listened to an audio book, which is actually really cool. Not a, the 10X rule, but a, the, a book that came afterwards. And he was the one that was reading it. And let me tell you, like, I don't agree with everything he says for sure. But man, like that is a guy who's passionate and like he's so intense about what he's talking about that like you can't help but get fired up and believe it, you know? So I think this is a good one. All right. So that's the next book. We're going to put the link down below. The 10X Rule. The 10X Rule. Also put the link on our link tree if you're listening to the podcast on our Instagram. And so, you know, just head on over. And it, I think I think it's going to be a good read because it also, I think, runs contrary to the four-hour work week. Yeah, for sure. He's definitely, I don't want to say a workaholic, but he's like, you, you're, you're grinding. Yeah, like whatever, however much time and energy you're putting into it, go 10 times bigger. Whatever your goal is, go 10 times bigger. So that will be our next Level Up review. Interesting. With that being said, if you are not following us on, ah, excuse me. A shabba da I, messed, I have not messed that up in 69 episodes. Uh, I think there's time. been a couple of times okay. you got close. If you have not yet, we are on Instagram. We're always dropping some kind of knowledge or information or sharing stories. Follow us on Instagram. We are Pure Soul Podcast. On Twitter, we are Pure Soul Cast. On Facebook, we are Pure Soul Podcast. You can always give us a call. You know, want to share a story, you know, a hustle of the week, whatever's on your mind, 619-738-1170. Hey, if you want to let us know how some of these books have impacted you, that would be great. 619 619- 738-1170. You can always shoot us an email. We are purosapodcast at gmail.com. That's purosapodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And if you ever want to say, hey, thank you in a monetary way, appreciate you. By the way, thank you guys that consistently have you know dropped donations. We really appreciate it. There is a PayPal link at the bottom. Uh, again, it all helps, whether it's you know us getting equipment, whether it's kind of you know helping us out a little bit when we're not reselling because we're podcasting. Those all help. And, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll have the day where we hit drop three episodes a week. Ooh. That's going to be a long while from now. But I don't know. It'd be awesome if we could. Yeah, I've heard a few people ask for daily episodes. So who knows? We might get that. It would be great. So we would It'll love to do that. It'll just be the Podcast Show. There you go. Weeknights. <laughs> Weeknights. And if you are a company that is looking to sponsor, we are here for you. We would love to have sponsors. Because, again, as long as we believe in what you're doing, uh, we well, will yeah. bet you. <laughs> agree. Agree. But as we've always said, our content will always be 100% free. We're here for you. We're not going to sell a course. We're not going to mentor. We're not going to do all those things. We are here for you guys. So let us know. We really would appreciate that. Yeah.
Okay. All so, right. So let's get back to the book study. All right. So I see you're you're a couple of pages ahead of 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 where just a quote I want to say, and okay. then we'll let you jump in Go on that. Go for it. Um. So he starts moving into this idea of of not being too complicated. I think there's a lot to be said about that. That it's really easy to overcomplicate what you're doing. And uh, the quote here is this: It says, "Companies go out of business when they make the wrong decisions, or just as important, make too many decisions. The latter creates complexity." And I think that's a pretty powerful idea. That that sometimes you do something that works, and then you add a little something else that works, and add a little something else that works, and next thing you know, you're going in so many directions, and there's no focus that everything falls apart. Right? And he even talks about in our day and age, he goes, "There's this idea." that everybody wants choice, lots of choices, right? Like any, and I still think people do, but he says, if you don't give a choice, all these choices, you can still do good, especially because you're focusing on one thing. And he gives, he gives the Ford car as an example. And the, the quote he says is, uh, the customers can have any color he wants so long as it's black, right? And I think that was pretty interesting. Um, this idea of, you know, I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think there's something to be said about like, if you were to only offer one type of product instead of offering hundred options on it, just offering here's the model that we sell. I, I think it just complicates it more when you offer more. I, I think that's one of the like menus can be that way, right? At well, restaurants. Again, I'm gonna go against what we do, but I think eBay can be a little bit like that. I think Amazon can be, you know, Amazon not so much. Amazon, it's no one really knows what else you're selling. They just know that one item they're looking for on eBay. You know. If you're selling all kinds now, I think it's eBay is the same thing. If people are looking for one item, they're just going to look for that one item, not going to your store. But if you become that store for that item and you just sell that one thing, it's easy. Mm. You know, it's it's kind of uh, I, I think about that on many levels because I think about branding. Right. So when I was a school administrator, one of the issues was, OK, how do we brand ourselves? Right. Because I was in the private school industry. And when we try to be all things to all people, it, it was really tough. Yeah. But when we try to be one niche and say, this is who we are, it became a lot easier to answer questions, to advertise, to, to be out there. So I, I think there's a lot to be said. I think as a, even when you're doing, you know, YouTube or when you're doing, you know, a podcast or doing social media, I th and, you know, I go back and forth about this, but when you try to be all things to all people, it becomes difficult because you have different audiences that are expecting certain things. And then you put yourself in a zone where like, I don't know where to go. I, I don't know how to answer this. I don't know what to provide. I don't know what's next. Right. So I think it applies in, in multiple areas. So I do agree. And that's what made, you know, as a historian, I, I think back about the Model T. That's what made the Model T Number one, it was affordable because it was the cheapest thing out there. It wasn't cheap, but it was still the cheapest thing out there. Number two, everybody knew exactly what they're getting. And again, it's, you know, I go back to the quote on 210, a little ahead of you, but it, it, it applies to this. Customer service is providing an excellent product and acceptable price and solving legitimate problems in the fastest manner possible. That's it. And I think it's the same scenario. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think about that with like, niches being in too many niches like it's probably better to know you should know a few things right because if you're if you're pigeonholed into one one area if that market collapses or if you're not able to source that item or whatever it is it's rough three four somewhere around there five different things that you know really well is probably good 
Now, if you see every single other reseller that's successful, like one of them's really good at selling women's jeans and another one's really good at selling men's ties, another one's really good, and you try and jump on every single possible niche, you're going to end up knowing very little about everything and and you'll quickly become overwhelmed, I think. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So very good. All right. What else? He was against uh, offering international shipments, which I thought was funny, but uh, I could see that being a thing. If we had to like fill out customs forms for everything, that's why we love global shipping so much, right? We'll talk about that next episode, though. We may, I may be going in that direction. Really? Away from EB's global shipping for a little bit. Huh. We'll talk for about For managed that. payments? No. Interesting. We'll see. <laughs> All right. So, oh, man. Stay okay. tuned for Wednesday. I'm excited for that episode. Well, it's not that exciting, but it'll be good. All right. So on page 12, he says, those who spend the least and ask for the most before ordering will do the same after the sale. Yes. That is so true. In the reselling world, more than ever, the more questions you get, the more chances you're going to get a return or an item not as described. I think it's in any, I think it applies to all aspects of life. The more questions are asked for now, I think there's good, there's the time to vet things, but there has to be a point where you just, you go in. You're done asking. And I, and I, and here's the other part that I like those who spend the most complain the least. That is so, I can't tell you how many, I can't think of one high priced item that I've ever sold that I've had returned or I've had negative feedback or questions. I I think about right now, I had a, is it time for confession? It's time for confession. It's confession time. I had a pair of sandals one time. I sold them. Should I share this? I mean, we're, now you have to. We're going to get hate on YouTube for this one. Ugh. So I noticed that Alana, a part of sometimes it... Sometimes you can be pretty messed up. I saw, I noticed that a part of it was unattached. And it was over, over a $100 sale. So I fixed it. I'm pretty sure it's okay. But there was a part of me that had this dilemma. Do I contact this person... And tell them that this part is messed up. Or do I just fix it and maybe the person will never know. And I realized it was a high-priced buyer. Man, I'm going to kill my business right now. Nobody's going to buy this. But I, this is the only time I ever did this. And I fixed it. And I fixed it to a point where I knew it would never be a problem again. Super glue. I'm not going to tell you. I, I fixed it. And I never had a problem again. I never heard from this person. I never got negative feedback. Instead, it was all the opposite. So I 100% believe, especially when you deal with like vintage higher end items. And again, I still have for now, my feedback's great. All the higher end stuff I found, people know exactly what they want. They know what they're getting. And so when they get it, there's no surprises. Now, yep. If you hide things from them, so let's say I sent that messed up and it wasn't fixed, then I would have had a whole lot of problems. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Yeah, but it was fixed. Yeah, for sure. No, it's it's kind of funny. I've had the same thing where not no not the same thing. I'm not going to say that. You're not. I've experienced no. Well, I've experienced this concept of people who spend more money complain less than the people who spend less money. Um, Cause I, I I've mentioned in a previous podcast, but one of the biggest back and forth that I've had like upset customer was for an item that was for parts only. And I sold it like pretty dirt cheap. Oh yeah. And it was heavy. Worst. Right. And they were upset 
for a not working parts only item because they were worried about the way it was shipped, which was fantastic, by the way. I I, I made sure it shipped well. Um, and I'm like, why is this person go-? like it doesn't work, right? Like you're buying something that doesn't work. Like I was when I sent this out, I was like, at least I won't get a customer complain about this because no matter what, they know they're getting something that doesn't work. And then I've sold, you know, that model car that I've talked about to a guy in Japan for several hundred dollars. And he actually wasn't super happy with, you know, some of the pieces that were missing, even though I put the, you know, show the video, there's some pieces. It was the clearest description I've ever seen anybody put. You said, I don't know everything that should be in here. Some might be missing. Maybe a lot of it's missing. Not really sure. This is what you're buying. Yeah, and, he said something to that effect, and that I mean, sounds vague. But like, I, I I literally made a video and I linked to yes, YouTube. Yes, and you had a video, and I like moved around the parts. I'm like, here are the parts that are in here. Like, this is just for parts. Like, this is what you're getting in here. And the guy made a comment that it was missing a piece that he was hoping that it had, and he was kind of bummed about that. And that was it. I, I thought for sure I was going to get him wanting to send it back, and not another peep. He left me great feedback, and it's like it's so bizarre that the person that has the biggest problem was like for a twenty dollar non working item that he knew wasn't working. And then you sell stuff that is expensive, and yeah, you never hear a peep. So that's a good, it's a good thing to think. So maybe that's a reason to, to to sell things that are slightly more expensive. Agreed. In that, in that's that, so agreed. I think if that two hundred dollar range, I mean, so fifty to two hundred, I think that'd be a good sweet spot to be at. Now I do want to clarify: the item was repaired better than it originally was. So you like it was so refurbished. You it, it was it. refurbished. It was refurbished. So, anyways. So I'll be honest, I skip a lot of the parts in here that are like in the gray because some of them are like stories about other people's experiences and stuff. I, okay, but I did like the how to look Fortune 545 I minutes. know, I, I marked some of those. This too. is where I struggled with where he's talking about like, I I, I think it's genius. It's I don't genius. know. I don't know if it's ethical. It's genius. This guy, I mean, he knows all the smart things to do. Yeah, but it's sure. like if you're trying to call for wholesale, you're not the CEO because the CEO doesn't make those phone calls. You're the VP. Yeah, he's all, don't be the CEO or the founder. And he goes, one of the reasons is it screams, it screams entrepreneur, screams startup, right? So if you're, the, if you're the VP or the director of marketing or the director of product sales or whatever it is, then it sounds like you're a part of a bigger organization because you are that thing, right? Like, and so make your business card that because, yeah, I mean, it's so easy for anybody. Like, I mean, you can go around as like CEO of Pure Russell Podcast, right? Like, doesn't mean anything. I agree. And if people have access to you, you're not really a CEO. Well, I mean, that's probably We didn't get to hang out with Devin at eBay Open. Did we talk about you walking into the room? Oh, no way. Okay. So this is going to be the episode of Orlando's failures. Okay. Well, it wasn't just you. We all did it. Like, yeah, but I led the charge. Well, we were all supposed to go into a meeting in this room with uh, with a VP that was going to talk to us. And there were several other people, but we were the first ones there. And there was other influencers. It was, you know, it was... We had a few people with us. But it was just us when we walked in the room. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So me and Orlando and my wife opened the door into the room we were supposed to go into. And there's a meeting going on with like three people. And like we start walking in and like... I was about to sit down. It was the CEO of eBay. And he's looking at us like we're crazy. And we're like... I think we're in the wrong room. But uh, no, I didn't. I went, hey, how's it going, Devin? Good to meet you. <laughs> and then we walked out. Yeah. I, I had to be courteous. And then his bodyguard like walked in front of the door and like stood in front of the door for the rest of their meeting. And then but his bodyguard left to get a drink of water or something when we walked in. Yeah, yeah, so it, walked wasn't, in. it wasn't it wasn't like it was a total fluke thing that I mean, it was the right room. They just moved where our meeting was supposed to be because but uh, but yeah, man, that was that's that's kind of true. Like 
you know, the CEO is definitely, you know, of a big organization is is a little bit harder to reach than than a and director. even though he was ten feet away from me, it wasn't like I could just sit down and go, Hey, what's going on? Let's let's talk about life. Well, that would be rude. If, That'd be rude no matter who it was. Agreed, agreed. But again, it's one of those things where it's that air of you know, and I, I don't this. I get it. His time was valuable. He was in a meeting like that would have been rude and it would have been, I think, improper for him. And some of you might disagree for him to stop what he was doing to talk to us. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, I think that's a good idea. So if you're going to make I mean, obviously, we talk a lot about having business cards. Maybe there's something to be taken from this. So instead of like putting on the business card of whatever the name of your reselling or whatever marketing, whatever your thing is, instead of having CEO or founder, like just pick a different title. VP, VP of Pure Russell Podcast. Well, I mean, if you were to say like yeah. VP of, of whatever media production company or, or director of marketing or director of talent or whatever it is, right? Like that sounds a little bit more like you're part of a big organization mm -hmm. and it gives you credibility, right? Like, and, and there's a lot of things in this book that are kind of like that. They're just like, little tips and tricks that you can use in order to better your ability to negotiate with others. But I think for wholesale, if you want to get into wholesale now, I love how he's candid about wholesale where number one, they're not going to want to sell to everybody and they want, they're not going to want to sell to eBay and mom pop. Cause I've experienced that where I did have somebody that had made a sweet deal with me and I wanted to go wholesale and they just basically told me, no, I can't go wholesale with you Orlando because the other brick and mortar stores don't want their prices to go down. And we've seen a lot of it online. So I'm sorry, I can't make this deal with you. It's, I got rejected. Now, there is, I think it's very valuable. Page 215, 216. I think as long as you're not lying, I think it's okay. So if you own your own company, you choose to title yourself to VP. I don't see a problem with that. Do you see a problem with yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I even think VP might sound off. I like the idea of like director. Okay, whatever you call yeah. yourself. Or and manager. Then, and then the other part where he said, put multiple email and phone contacts on the website. And have them all move right to yours, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean... You, you could do that with Google Voice. Yeah, and you, you can make it so it's not like... Don't make up fake people's names. Just no, put, no. Like, put like HR at Pure Russell Podcast and marketing at Pure Russell Podcast and whatever. You know what I mean? And so, then the other part, setting up an interactive voice response... I think that was genius where, it, you know, it's basically when you call and they say, thank you for calling Pure Russell Podcast. Please say the name of the person or department you'd like to reach or just hold on for a list of options like that. Maybe we should make that our Google voicemail. That's crazy. But again, I don't think again, it's to me, it's strategic yeah. as long as you're not lying. Yep. So if this, you know, will allow you to reach out to companies for private label or for wholesale. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Now the comfort challenge that came at the end of this chapter, and I think it was actually the last comfort challenge in the book. Maybe there's oh, yes. one more. It was pretty funny because it was rest in public places. Yeah. I, I don't, I didn't, I get, I get it, but I don't get it. Okay. So remember it's comfort challenge. So that sounds easy and even says it sounds easy, but the idea was literally for 10 seconds in a public place once a day for like a couple weeks or whatever it is, lay down on the ground. Don't say anything. And then 10 seconds later, get up and continue on with your job. And if somebody asks you, like, what are you doing? Just say, like, just taking a break, just resting. And the thing that I laughed the most at was he says, I used to do this at nightclubs to clear space for breakdancing circles. 
No one responded to pleading, but going catatonic on the ground did the trick. I just If you watched him, I did not know Tim Ferriss was in the breakdancing scene. I, that's new. So. Hey, I mean, he's just clearing the floor for other people maybe to break dance. I guess so. Boom, lay down. I mean, it's true. Electric like, boogaloo. And I think there's something to be said about this idea of getting out of your comfort zone. Like, I'll always remember when I was in ASB, when I was in high school and like going and watching like public speakers. And like one of those things someone told about was like, going out of your comfort zone and like every time you do your bubble your comfort zone gets a little bit bigger and every time you step out just even if it's a little bit then your comfort zone gets bigger right and and i've noticed that in my own life like you do something that's like i'm not really comfortable with this not really i don't really like talking in front of people and you talk in front of a a few people then the next time it's a little bit easier and Mm -hmm. so i definitely think there's something to be said now i don't think pure hustle podcast is going to be doing the 100 days of laying down in the middle of the street or club who let, let's go with 100 days of no first i like the no yeah this one uh, i don't know but hey let us know what are some it would be you- it would look so clickbait if we did it yeah. would be totally totally to people i mean unless you knew why we were doing it if somebody coming across our instagram would go what what are they doing what is the purpose purpose it's of this start a trend no but i, I mean let us know what are some things that you've done in your life to kind of get outside of the comfort zone? What are some strategies you use? Cause we love to hear. I mean, that's a really important thing is getting out of your comfort zones and you know, celebrating that too. Cause you know, if you're like me and you're a little more introverted or you're not necessarily great with doing those kinds of things, uh, what are some of the the successes that you've had? So leave a comment down in the comment section of, of ways you've been able to break out of your comfort zone. Are you ready for the next chapter? Yeah. We're moving on to uh, liberation. Oh, we're at liberty. Yeah. The disappearing act. Which is yeah. liberation. Liberation. So I, I think this is where you and I are going to not struggle with one another, but struggle with some of what was shared in the book. Maybe. Maybe. Okay, let's see. So so, so, so I get, you know, he, I don't know. I kind of, I don't like the term new rich just because it kind of sounds, I don't know. Does it sound a little elitist? I mean, it does a little bit, but I understand the idea of, how there even used to be old money, new money, right? Like back in the twenties, that was big, like new Mm -hmm. money coming up, old money. And I almost feel like there's maybe another shift where there's an old guard, an old way of doing things, not necessarily old money, because I don't feel like there's really as much old money as there used to be in that same way. But I think there's like traditional, which he kind of talks about, like traditional ways of developing wealth. And then the ways that people are doing it now, which I mean, even think of social media, like a lot of the the traditional wealth people would never do these things. And mm-hmm. the new the new rich, as it were, like they just have a different mindset for sure. Agreed. I, I do I do see what he's saying though on page 229, where he basically sums up that the old rich, you know, they were titled by, you know, this is so and so from, you know, this location and from this location, this location, that now it's unlimited mobility. Right. That the new rich. And I agree with that. I, it's one of the reasons you and I went back and forth about I'm not a big believer in owning your own home. Where we talked about that mm-hmm. with the richest man, Babylon. We went back and forth. Grant Cardone has some something to share about that. Yeah, I know. He's very against owning homes. Yeah. So I, I see I see it. I, I still I, I'm back and forth. I will tell you if the market crashed, I'd probably buy a home right now. Oh, absolutely. I'd probably buy some more. I I would buy a duplex. That would be the first thing I would buy. So we're not there yet, though. We're not there yet. I can't wait. I can't wait that hopefully our podcast lasts that long. Well, and it's interesting because I was just talking to my wife about this the other day. And I won't spend a lot because I know we got to finish this this book review. Uh, but we had we were landlords for a short time, a house that I had owned. And 
our tenant, we only had one tenant and she destroyed our house. It was the most terrible experience we've ever experienced. I'll have to share it sometime. It's actually kind of gross and funny, the things that happened in that house. Uh, but oh, wow. we sold it and we made quite a bit of money on the sale. I mean, not like so much that it was like we could you know, quit, but like we made some money and it felt good being young and being able to sell a house and we had some equity in it. But I think part of the problem was I was very against getting a property manager to manage the property, to rent it out, to handle all of that because I knew I wouldn't be making a lot of profit on it. In fact, I, I, I'd i probably be paying, I'd probably be losing $100 or $200 a month. But then I've thought about it, Mike, all of those years ago, I sold that house. What if I did had to pay $100 a month, $200 a month on that house because whatever tenants in there isn't covering everything plus the property manager? Basically, that means I'm fronting a $100 to $200 bill to own a home. And if I'm building hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands of dollars of equity every month on that home, right? So... I was just not thinking back then. I didn't see the long-term idea of even if I'm not making profit on it, I'm making building equity. And that's one of the things where we kind of went back and forth on the, the richest man in Babylon. But yeah, and this idea of being able to be mobile and take these mini vacations, I still don't know if I agree completely um, because a lot of it is, yes, it's absolutely cheaper. I've been to many, um, I'll just say like third world countries and I've, I've you know done some like projects there and it's amazing how much you can do with very little money. But I still had to pay rent and electricity and all of those things where I was at in America. Yeah, maybe I could eat out for a month in this, this country, really good food for $10, $20 a month, like very inexpensive. But I still have to pay the electricity and water bill where I'm at. Otherwise, when I come home, I'm going to have to have all that stuff turned on, buy a new place, put a new down payment. So there's still money involved that doesn't really get talked about here. Well, the other part, well, let, let's, before we go to that, let me, let me go to a part. I think it was a very powerful statement, which I deal with all the time. Page 237, he says, while entrepreneurs have the most trouble with automation, since they fear giving up control, employees get stuck on liberation because they fear taking control. Resolve to grab the reins. The rest of your life depends on it. And I really do believe that separates the two. Well, you know, and I, I, I am always wondering, like, am I supposed to be an entrepreneur, right? Uh, a lot of people talk about being self-aware and I still question, am I, is the reason why I'm not looking to scale to a warehouse or build an empire because I'm not an entrepreneur or is it because I, I care more about being happy than being, I, I don't know. I, I, I think about these things, but. I look at that quote and I think if anything defines it to it's that because to be an entrepreneur, you have to be want that liberation. You want to have to break free from that nine to five. Uh, I don't know if I agree. There was one time I heard Gary V. I think it's one of his books when he was, it was an audible. He said, if you, if you have a nine to five job and you're an entrepreneur, you're not an entrepreneur. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. No, but, I know that, but, but I there's that extreme. I, well, I understand like he takes very, very firm, grasp our, our stance on the idea that if you can do anything else for a living and be okay with that, this isn't you. Like if you don't, like if, if every fiber of your being isn't like, if I don't do this, I'm done. Like this is who I am. I must do this. Even if it means I fail, this is me. You, you breathe and, and live and eat that lifestyle. Right. And if that's not you, I, I, that's not me. Right. Like I love this reselling thing and I love doing it it's more than a hobby. It is an income. It's, it's, it's a job. And I enjoy a lot of aspects of it. And there's aspects of it I don't enjoy. But I just, like you said, being self-aware, I don't see myself 
wanting to do this as like the only thing, but part of it because I have, I'm passionate about teaching too. So because I have this other passion, I know that I can't devote a hundred percent and sacrifice everything to make this into a multi-million dollar business. I get it. I, I'm also, I see myself as liberated <laughs> in the sense that I've, I've shared this with you and I think you've seen me grow stronger in my passion about, I will never go back to working for someone else. Right. So I did take up a super part-time teaching job, but I'm an independent contract. So that means I don't answer anybody. I can quit just as fast as, well, in California, you can quit anything because there's at will contracts, but I'm my own boss. I choose how I do things. I choose how I teach. I choose how I grade and I can walk away if I want. Right. I'm not answering to anybody. But to ask me to go back to a place where I have to fall in line with a structure, I just, I just can't do that it's anymore. It's not who you are anymore. Hey, and that's okay. I mean, like I have, said, for now, maybe, maybe when I'm 45, that'll change. Who knows? <laughs> but for now, when you're 45 and so much wiser, more experienced, I, I don't know. It, I just keep going back to Craigslist Center and his interview when he asked me, "What are you going to do the next five years?" And I, and I, you know, my reply was, "Just keep doing what I'm doing." Because right now I'm loving it. I'm enjoying it. Mm. But I really don't know what things will be in 20 years. So That's good. Yeah, this section, there was a lot in there that I thought was really good about, like, even as an employee. And and it'd be hard to go through all of it step by step. But I definitely read the book if you haven't and you're interested in this. But of kind of like taking power over getting time off at work and being able to work from home. Uh, and I do think we live in a... It, I feel like businesses and time often are a little bit behind the times, right? I think they're completely behind the times. I think in education is behind. Yeah, the times. education's behind the times by easy ten years. In especially like when it comes to technology and things like that. But one of the things, and and I don't know if I agree with it completely, but I do think there's something to be said. The idea of schools initially, like like the way schools were set up, was almost to like mimic the factory work that people were going to go into, and it mm -hmm. makes sense, right? Schooling is to prepare the child for to be successful, give them the tools they need to be successful in the world that they're going to enter. So it made sense if most children were going to enter into factories and that was going to be the way they were going to be able to provide for their families and make something of their life, then it made sense to structure school in a way that was preparing them for that, giving them the skills. Here's the bell. Here's when something starts. Here's how you, and very structured, very organized. But the thing is, times are a little bit different now. And I, I think certain businesses, the cutting edge businesses get that, right? Like that's why places like Google and Amazon and those types of places have campuses where there's not traditional desks and people can work from home. They come in at different hours and there's, you know, slides and, you know, like weird stuff because they know that getting the most out of a millennial employee is different than getting the most out of even a Gen X or a baby boomer, right? Like I times are different. I agree. So I'll give you an example that I directly can relate to. So when, when I was an administrator, I was the odd one out because I always, you know, we'd always have teachers that would leave early, right? They, you know, they got their work done, they were ready to go. And, and there was a lot of other people that were in administration that were like, you have to stay here till 3.30 or whatever, you have to stay here till 4. And I always, you know, you would approach me and others would say, hey, Orlando, is it okay if I roll out? I'm like, you got your stuff done. I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter to me. And my belief was that the best teachers, the faculty that we had were the ones that were always gone. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because 
they made sure all their stuff was taken care of. Yeah, well, that and there's the idea like teaching. And I know so many professions are like this. And I wish I could apply this to the business field. But, you know, this is my own personal experience. Yeah. And teaching is one of those things where you almost feel like so many of you are in a profession, right? Like sometimes it's a job and you kind of almost understand why employers of like the quote unquote job kind of treat employees like, you know, not super well. And it's not great. But like you can understand if there's a lot of just if it's if it's um if it's an hourly entry, position it makes sense yeah if it's entry level positions people are learning but when it when you get to the place where you're professional salary positions um it seems interesting that like yeah okay so teachers spend hours outside of work grading at home lesson mm-hmm. planning i mean i would stay up sometimes till one two in the morning grading papers preparing for the next day so yeah the idea that i need to be inside of a room or behind these certain walls for a certain amount of time just to fulfill a contract when I'm going to go home and put in another four or five hours just seems silly, right? It's like, you're not trusting me as a professional. And there's a lot in this book Tim Ferriss has of how to slowly kind of convince your boss. And some of it is a little sketch, right? Like, I, I mean, I give him credit for being, I don't want to say manipulative, but he understands how people works. I think some of it is manipulative. It is. And, and I mean, one of the things was like, take a couple of days off, call in sick for a couple of days, but work from home, maybe even without even telling them you're going to be working from home and be more productive on those days than you ever are while you're at work. And then go into the office and say like, hey, I know it's gone those two days, but look at how much I accomplished. Like, here's this idea. I'd like to try and stay home a couple of days a week and get work done. And they said, while you're doing that, don't only just be more productive while you're at home, but be a little less productive while you're at work. Right? Like, and there's this idea of like showing them that, hey, when I'm not under your watch, I'm still performing my job. Well, and that's the thing. I, I will say, you know, I was only a minister for five years, which is would be a management position anywhere else, mm-hmm. right? The way things are set up. And there is nothing more if you're if you're in a position of leadership where you have people working that are salaried, there's nothing more that will kill morale than you forcing people to work for the sake of working. So if they have stuff done and they're excelling and they want to take that time. Let them take that time. You will do so much more in building morale with that person and getting that person to trust you and and go the next step and go the extra mile than you could ever, I believe, with raising that person's salary or which I, I think you still should. But there are ways that you can get people to be far more effective than money. And one of them is by treating them like professionals. And understanding that as long as things are done, don't make them labor just because they have to. Yeah. And one of the things that he says that it might be applicable to some of our listeners is if you attempt these things, if you're showing that like, hey, I can be productive at home, I don't need as many hours like on the clock, whatever it is, and you go to your boss a couple of times and you ask for like opportunities to at least prove yourself and you keep getting rejected, he basically says, jump ship. Like you're, you are there's never going to be an opportunity for you to excel in this place. And I think that's a good place to be is to recognize, you know, like, am I in a place that's dead end? And, you know, I see you've got a quote there kind of connected to this idea. Uh, but, you know, am I in a place that's dead end that's not going to get me anywhere? And he says, like, most people aren't lucky enough to get fired and die a slow spiritual death over 30 to 40 years of tolerating the mediocre, right? And it's, you know, he's like, who cares? Maybe you get fired. Like, be willing to go and say, like, here's what I want to do. But always have a backup plan. I'm, I think he's a little extreme with this. Well, there's two things. Okay, so we're going to wrap things up in a little bit, but I want to end on two things if that's okay. I want to jump to mini retirement and then I want to jump back to getting fired. Sure. We'll end on getting fired. 
<laughs> All right. So what are your thoughts on the mini retirement section towards the end? Um, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's realistic for most people. Okay, let's explain it to those that haven't read it. What is he saying? So essentially the concept behind mini retirement is instead of instead of cramming in vacations where you take two weeks of vacation in a year and you try and do it all, right? Visit everywhere in Europe and you try and do this and and you don't actually end up getting any rest and you can't enjoy it because it's like basically being a starving person that goes to an all-you-can-eat buffet for a day, right? And it's like, it's not that's not sustainable. It's not really nourishing. The idea of a mini retirement is take months or years away, like a year, up to a year, you know, away from work and save up money, make sure you have enough. Maybe you've automated your life to a point where you can absolutely walk away from everything and go to Fiji for months or go live somewhere in Europe for three months instead of just taking vacations. And I just, I don't know if I agree with it, man. Well, again... It's supposed to be if you follow everything up to that point, right? Where yeah. you have that income that you're able to do that. Now, the one thing, both of you and I are both family men, right? Yeah. So we both, you know, you, you're married, you have a kid, I have kids. And, you know, at, at the one point when I was married, this would have been brutal. You know, I, I, I can't say, hey, yeah. hey, everyone, we're going to go to Fiji. It would have been a great experience. But and maybe if we had that income, but again, I my struggle was was with I think there needs to come in place where there's some kind of stability. Mm. And maybe we're countercultural here. I don't know. But I do I maybe we're not the new rich. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but yeah. I find I find that stability. I think about schooling. I think about being part of a community. It's very hard to do all those things when you're constantly shifting. Now, if I was 18, 19, in my 20s, and I was single, I'm definitely doing this. Yeah. And I think I think one of the reasons why I feel like this almost has the feel of selling the pipe dream, as it were. <laughs> wow, you went there. Is it looks to me like, you know, the ads before a lot of you know YouTube channels where it's like a young guy in his 20s and it starts off with like, you know, I didn't graduate high school or, you know, I didn't go to college. And he's like super ripped. And he looks really great and he's like surfing and he's like, I only work 30 minutes a day and I'm here and and like the Fiji. YouTube ads before our podcast. Yeah, sometimes those come up. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, if if you if I would if somebody would have told me this ten years ago or five years ago, I would have never believed it. But now I don't even have to work and I've got all this money coming in. All you have to do is pay X amount of money and I'm gonna teach you how to do it. And that's how they're able to be out there on the ocean, hanging out with, you know, all the people that they're hanging out with and drinking and that's all their life is, is because people are paying to say, how do I have that life? Right? Like they're making money off of selling this dream. And so I, I kind of, I feel like I don't, I I think there were so many good things in this book. So many like nuggets. Like, Oh, that's really cool. I pulled a lot of awesome quotes, but I just feel like this part of it, it's like, I, most people, I, I don't think of resellers, most people in professions can't take that long away without losing momentum in the field that they're in. Or losing momentum in creating friendships, creating a family, create you know all those being things. part of a, a being community. part of a community, whatever yeah. maybe. I think I think that's very difficult. So that's just but my- I love the story that was in there though, which I thought was great, of the guy who was a fisherman, and 
I'm just going to summarize oh, the, the, it. The guy in Mexico. Yeah. So there's a, a fisherman. He went out. He, he was able to catch enough fish in a few hours to feed his family and to sell to the market to have everything he needs. So he only works a couple hours. And an American guy comes up and is like, wow, like, how come you're still not fishing and getting more? He's like, well, I've got everything I need. And he goes, well, how do you spend the rest of your day? Well, I go home and I go on a long walk with my wife and I hang out with my kids. And then I go play guitar at the bar with my amigos every night. Like, that's that's how I spend my time. And he's like, well, let me teach you a way that you can make a lot of money. He's like, instead, keep fishing and then end up buying a boat and then a fleet of boats. And then in like 10 or 20, 25 years tops, you'll be able to like have this multi-million dollar company that you can sell for an IPO and you'll 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 have a ton of money. He goes, okay, well, then what? Well, then you'll be able to spend time with your family and go on long walks with your wife and go play guitar at the bar with your amigos, right? It's like, he already has that life. Like, why work so hard? And I, I do think that's one concept that I, I even had to like have a paradigm shift on is why work so hard to get a life that you can have without working quite as hard? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's a good... That's a and good maybe it's not on a grand scale, but it's still the same kind of life. Yeah. So I, I, this is where I'm at right now. I mean, I've shared this on previous podcasts where I'm doing things now that I was going to wait till I was in my 60s and 70s and going, why, why am I going to wait? Why not now? As long, if I can financially make it happen, I'm going to do it. So no, I completely agree with you. Now, I want to end on this note, page 245, talking about getting fired. <laughs> and he yeah, says, that's pretty funny. He says, uh, a few things are fatal, particularly for smart people. So I would, I would go with all of our audience. Okay. If you made it this far in life, losing or dropping a job will often be little more than a few weeks of vacation, unless you want more prior to something better. And this resonated with me because I have never been fired in my entire life. <laughs> I've always, I've always either found a new job and had to resign uh, or no, that's pretty much it. <coughs> but here's the thing. I don't know. I can't get fired now, but I wish at some point I did get fired because then it would have put me in this place where I wouldn't have seen everything in such a fatal view. Mm. Right. Because I always had this, you know, I always had this thing. Like, I will never get fired. I'll never get fired. But what if you, you're getting fired because somehow in some sovereign way it is demonstrating to you that there's more out there for you or there's something better for you? Yeah. Right. I mean, it we, happens all the time. People stuck in kind of a dead end place. They get fired. They think it's a calamity that's going to destroy them. And one, they get that couple weeks of vacation where they can kind of reset and then they can end up getting a job that pays better and they enjoy more. And if there's ever a time that it's easier to rebound, I think, from being fired, it's right now. Yeah. Now, I, I can't say that in a year or two, if, you know, something happens to the market. But right now. Yeah, job market's pretty good. Job market's good. Reselling's pretty good. Economy's continues to boom, as far as I know. I know we have some, you know, international things happening right now. So I, I just, you know, I implore you, if you're in this difficult spot to maybe look at changing your mindset a little bit and seeing obviously, you know, all, all these different things, I'm not, you know, happen for a reason, right. Happen for a purpose. And I don't want to get too much into to a movie, but it's kind of, if you've ever seen the movie signs, right. You watch that movie and you think it's, I'm not going to ruin it for everybody, but if you think it's about aliens, but ultimately it's not about aliens, right. It's that, 
all these things happen for a purpose and for a reason. And so I think, <laughs> I don't know if that was the best analogy, but I was encouraged by this because I go, okay, what if a few years from now, reselling doesn't work out? What if I thought I had this down, but I didn't? Maybe I had it down for a little bit. Maybe I had it down just to be able to take care of things for two or three years. But ultimately, I wasn't in it for the long run. I'm, I'm going to be okay. And we're all going to be okay. That's where I landed on this. Wow. It's pretty deep, man. Was it deep? It's pretty good. I feel like I should have, there should have been more of a climactic ending to this. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll end it on, if you don't mind, a quote that it okay. said here that I thought was pretty good. It was a Chinese proverb. And I think it kind of applies um, to this. It says, if you must play, decide on three things at the start. The rules of the game, the stakes, and the quitting time. Right? So go into it knowing, here's the game I'm willing to play. Here's what's at stake for me. And I'm ready to jump ship when I need to. And it even says here, being able to quit things that don't work is an integral part of being a winner. And, and it goes with reselling too, right? Like you might be in a niche and it might be time to jump or to adapt like we talked about in our previous episode. Agreed. And so ultimately for our work week, a lot of truths, a lot of things that maybe we disagree with, maybe you disagree with us, but ultimately there's value in, you know, bringing other sources of information to help you level up your reselling game, level up your life. And this is why we do the level up review. So with that being said, make sure to be real, be relevant and be reselling. Peace. Peace.